Good morning. Welcome to a new series that we're calling Preacher's Choice. This is literally a random series of, hey, is there something on your heart that maybe doesn't fit into a bigger series? It's a kind of a one-off message that you want to share. And so some of our uh, pastoral staff has uh, you know, a, a solo message to share the month of August. And I get to go first. And um, today I'm going to be talking about um, a, a discipline um, that is extremely important to the life of the church, the future of the church, the present of the church. Now, we have a communion table set up around the room. We are going to be taking communion together today as a community. And communion is one of uh, what are often called a sacrament. A sacrament is a practice, a discipline that the church does together um, to remind ourselves of what is true about who God is. And then to extend that practice into our everyday lives. So, for example, we, we come around the table with the bread and the cup to be reminded of Jesus, right? He says, do this in remembrance of me, that his body was broken and his blood was shed for us. And so we do that around this table. But then we see the practice of the early church taking that out of some just religious context and into the homes, the Lord's table is now around our table as we're in community with one another and we're sharing life together and we're inviting new people to come and share the meal with us. And that's what a sacrament is or a discipline is. It's, it's something that we do together to remind ourselves what's true and then we take it out with us into the world so that other people can experience the presence of Jesus. And today's discipline, uh, this comes from a book uh, that's very important to me. It's called Faithful Presence by a mentor, uh, professor of mine, David Fitch. Um, and it, it's, it, you can, if you read the book, you'll see the ways it's shaped how we think of things as a church. But uh, he says there are seven disciplines. There's probably more, and we can argue over which ones. He says there's seven disciplines where we can experience the presence of Jesus and then extend the presence of Jesus outside the walls of the church. And this discipline is Presence with young people, discipleship of children and youth. He, was, he would say as important as this communion time is spending time, quality time with young people that they might experience the presence of Jesus, that we might experience the presence of Jesus together. And then that, that spills out into our community as we find ways to show the love of Jesus to young people. So if you notice... I'm wearing this very amazing shirt. Uh, this is our summer camp shirt. We just got back Friday night from summer camp. And I want to show you some pictures of some amazing things that uh, we got to do. First off, we, we, uh, we went to uh, Santa Cruz just to kick off our time with some bonding and some roller coasters and some junk food. You know, the presence of Jesus was with us. <laughs> In our funnel cakes, right? Um, and then... Uh, we, we hung out at the church that night. It was really cool. We just kind of had a sleepover, a movie night at the church. And then we got on this bus and we headed uh, north to the American River where we were going to uh, go sleep. Well, we slept on the ground here. And then we went and slept on the ground there too. And uh, of course, we had to get some pizza. It was delicious. Um, here's the bus ride up. And it was just such a good time. We stopped and played some games at a park. And then we did uh, this. Is, <laughs> I had to show this one. And of course, he's not here because he's probably still sleeping. But look at him. Sweet little angel. Uh, <laughs> he's taller than me. I don't know why I called him little. Um, 
And we did some things like rock climbing and uh, whatever that move is. And, uh, and we, we went whitewater rafting, which we have no pictures of because you don't take your phone with you when you're whitewater rafting. And uh, we just had some amazing time together as a community. Just uh, one of the things that was just so fun um, was to have this quality time together. And, and we saw these kids get challenged to do some things that might have been a little scary for them. And then Becca and Adrian and Pastor Mike, who was there with us uh, from another group, uh, did a great job of talking to the kids what it means to get out of the boat like Peter did, to have faith that if, if you fix your eyes on Jesus, everything is going to be okay. And it's the best place to be in the presence of Christ. And it was just such a great time to, to spend together. And you may be asking me, why? You're not a youth pastor anymore. Why would you go sleep on the ground at a camp with no tent, being kept up late by dudes snoring and farting, and girls from another church talking about all the cute boys in our group? Why? Why would you do this? You don't have to. And you know what? As I was packing my bag to go, I was like, I'm getting kind of old. I don't know if I still have the energy for this. But here's the reality of it. It's selfish. After all of these years, I, I, I still go into these events and, and see God's power move in these things. When I'm around young people and I get to see their faith in action, when I get to see the way that they love each other, when I get to see the way they practice their faith, it's selfish. I, I come home physically tired, but spiritually just like, it's like steroids for my faith. It gives me such a boost to see God working in their lives. And, and this should not be a surprise. Jesus was regularly welcoming children and lifting up the status of young people in, in a very countercultural way. So I'm going to share a couple passages from the Gospels today of Jesus doing just that, welcoming and uplifting children. So first we're going to look at, at, at uh, Luke 18, 15. And this, let this be uh, an invitation to us as a church to go even deeper in our commitment to the next generation. This is uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. People were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked him, or rebuked them, sorry, the babies. They rebuked the babies. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not, re uh, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, it, uh, like a little child, will never enter it. That grammar is hard. Let me try that again. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. Now, middle school, high school students who are with us, don't be offended by the little children you know, what, what constitutes a child and an adult has changed throughout generations. But, but Jesus here is prioritizing young people. People are trying to keep them away. And he's like, no, I'm sick of talking to you. Bring the kids to me. He said, let them come first. I love it. And you can see right here, just in the very passage, that, that what he's doing is countercultural. Because the disciples, their instinct is to say, get them away. He doesn't have time for kids. This is partly because, you know, childhood is not something that human beings have, ever, have really understood very well historically. You know, for much of history, many cultures didn't want to get too attached to children because life was hard and the odds of a child living to adulthood were not great. In fact, in Jesus' time, in his time and place, the average lifespan was 33 years, okay? 
Now, the life expectancy is always uh, dramatically skewed because surviving the first year of life was the biggest challenge. So even if you survive the first year of life in that context, the high-end average was 41 years, which is exactly how old I am today, which means I'm really old, and you whippersnappers better respect me. Get off my lawn. And this is truly a reality for much of history. Families often had to have a lot of kids hoping that maybe two, three, four will survive into adulthood. The priority was not to create an environment where these kids could play and learn and thrive and develop in appropriate ways. It was just keep them alive. In other cultures, specifically in Western cultures, uh, up until not that long ago, children were just seen as tiny adults. You know, my wife, Adrienne, can teach you all about uh, child development, and, and that's her background. And so if I mess this up, she'll, she'll rebuke me. Um, but, but there was a time, like specifically in, in Victorian England, which is, you know, less than 200 years ago, where child, children were just seen as little adults, and their value was not in being children and unique and special. It was, what job can they do? You got tiny hands. Come in here. You can reach into this gear and fix this thing for me. I can't. Oh, your little body can fit in that chimney. Here's a sweep. Get the job done. And you guys watch Mary Poppins and you think Dick Van Dyke's the good guy? No, he's running a child labor ring with them chimney sweeps. I'm just kidding. Dick Van Dyke is a national treasure and we must protect him at all costs. But what does it say about a culture that's willing to sacrifice children and childhood for profit? And sadly, There are states in our country that are repealing child labor laws and safety laws around children so that companies can pay less wages to children than they would have to to adults and put them to work in dangerous conditions. That's happening now. All for the good of the economy. And I would like, obviously, we we should be able to say, like, that's not okay. We should put an end to that. But we we need to let kids be kids. The world is hard enough for them. They're going to be adults soon enough. Don't rush it. Which brings me to the next phase of how we've viewed children. Eventually, people started to go, hey, they're different from us. They're kind of fragile. We should probably do a better job of taking care of them. And and so the idea came along that children are are innocent and and they're in need of protection. And on one hand, this is a really good development. Children were were taken out of the chimneys, and now they're being valued and protected and cared for. And, And Jesus definitely supported this idea. For sure, they should be protected and valued. Look at Matthew 18, verse 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus is saying, if you harm my children, get ready to throw hands. We're going to (laughs) fight. Anything that gets in the way of these kids, knowing the love of God, whether it be abuse, temptation to sin, hypocrisy, Whatever it is, it's going to be dealt with. And I don't want to know what's on the other end of that threat. If it's worse than a millstone being hung around my neck and getting chucked into the ocean, I don't want to know what that's like. I jumped in the river while we were whitewater rafting and went under for a second, and it was terrifying. The power of that water was terrifying. For one second, I don't want to know what's on the other end of that judgment from Jesus. We must protect and value children. We must also on the other hand, understand that they are more than just little angel babies who are made out of porcelain and need to be bubble wrapped. 
Yes, we do need to protect children, but there's more to it than that. Presence with, discipleship with young people, there's more to it than that. Uh, A child development expert uh, named uh, Risa Soren said this, the construct of childhood innocence comes at a price. It positions children as incompetent, vulnerable, and dependent. A blank slate ready to be molded by adult. I saw some of the dangers of this when I was first starting in youth ministry. Um, we, we had a, a, every, every beginning of the school year, we had a parents meeting to talk about, hey, here's what's going to happen this year. And uh, I was a part of a large youth ministry staff, and so I was there. But two of my uh, compadres were, were leading this parents meeting and talking about, hey, here's what we're going to do this year. Uh, here's all the retreats. Here's the topics we're going to discuss. And one of the things was like, yeah, we're going to do a series on how to think in a biblical and healthy way about sex and sexuality. After the meeting was over, 20 parents surrounded these two guys, my friends, and all that was missing was torches and pitchforks. Like they were freaking out. You can't talk about that stuff with my kids. And kindly, they said, I totally understand your concerns. Are you having these conversations with your kids? Well, no, they can't think about and talk about these things. It'll corrupt them. We'll lose them. That was the mentality. They're innocent. We're going to corrupt them. That, that mentality was, was meant for good, but what if it was actually doing more harm? The reality was these kids were talking about sex and sexuality with or without them. We spent so much time trying to protect them, we forgot that we can't protect them forever, and we haven't prepared them for anything. At a certain point, they have to learn to think for themselves. They have to learn to see the presence of Jesus in their world, to to learn how to work out the truth of Jesus in their life and make sense of it in their context. Who do you want discipling your kids and shaping these conversations? Their friends at school who have no idea what they're talking about, and they're just trying to figure it out themselves? The internet? Yikes. Yikes. I'm scared on the internet. We have to be open to every conversation. And we have to be proactive to let the the youth of this church, to let these youth of this church know there's no topic that's off limits. We can talk about this together. We can discern this together. And it's not just the parent's job. As a baseball coach, you know, as the manager of the team this year, I would say something to my son and I'm not sure he heard me. Well, I'm sure he heard me. I'm not sure he wanted to hear me, right? But if Coach Dave or Coach Augie says the same exact thing in the same exact words in the same exact tone, yes, Coach, and then he goes and does it, right? And the same thing, their sons would, would not listen to them, and I would tell them, give them a piece of advice, and they'd come up to me later, like, I've said that same thing a million times. I'm like, you're welcome, Coach. <laughs> it's just how it is. After a while, they've heard your stories, they know your spiel, they understand your values, and they want to know, does this work in real life? And they need other adults, other people who love Jesus and faithfully follow Jesus, other adults who are willing to have open and honest conversations. In the book Sticky Faith by Kara Powell and Chap Clark, their research states that the young people who have at least five adults in their lives pouring into them in positive and meaningful ways, they are astronomically more likely to continue walking with Jesus into adulthood. It's not just what home you grew up in. It's did a, did a community, did a village come together to wrap their arms around you and say, let's figure this out together. That's why Powerhouse exists. That's why our youth ministry exists. 
It's all about discipleship in context for young people. It's about people of all generations, from older adults. You are never too old to serve with youth or kids, I promise you. Older adults sharing wisdom, college students, young adults who've just been through that stage of life. Here's how, here's how I see it, right? Listening and leading discussions that help kids and youth see how Jesus is present here and now in your circumstances, in your school, in your relationships, in your future. Kids need to explore. They need to have deep and mature conversations. They need to have opportunities to fail. They need to ask questions and try things that we maybe aren't sure they're capable of. You know, my viewpoint on this was radically changed when I became a middle school pastor. I had done high school ministry for years. It's all I ever wanted to do was work with high school students. And uh, uh, my, my supervisor at the time was like, hey, there's only one opening on our staff, and it's to be a middle school pastor. And I said, nah, I'm good. <laughs> and then he was like, can you maybe pray about it and then get back to me? <laughs> Which, of course, is like, yeah, yeah, all right, I'll go pray about it within like 24 hours. Like, dang, I'm supposed to do this, aren't I? And I was still cynical and skeptical about it. I remember, I remember I had like a nervous breakdown like six months into it. Like, what am I doing? I don't know how to do this. I don't, these, they're, they're just little kids. I don't know what I'm doing. And then I took uh, 45 seventh graders to rural North Carolina to do a missions trip where we just did manual labor. Wait, child labor laws. Uh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> where we, we dug trenches to, to, to um, help uh, uh, redo a septic system for a family who had literally no plumbing because of all they live in deep poverty and what was amazing was not just how hard these kids worked it's that unprompted they went and sat on the porch with this sweet lady and when she, when she asked like why are you doing this with your summer vacation she would just say they they unprompted again said do you know how much jesus loves you they just shared the gospel just talked about how much they've experienced the love of jesus and and wanted her to experience the love of jesus in her life and i was like oh they're better Christians than me, <laughs> and they're young. It was incredible. My whole world was shaken up by this, and I was all of a sudden never happier to be a middle school pastor. I saw those same things again this week up at Rock and Water. I saw kids encouraging one another, standing up for one another, praying and worshiping together. I felt the, the, the presence of Jesus in our midst as students grew more confident by trying something they've never done, like rock climbing or repelling or, or getting in a boat down a rushing river. And the whole time, I feel like Jesus was there saying, yes, you can be confident. You can be courageous. You can overcome your fear. Life is going to have many obstacles, but I'm here with you. Together we can do this. Look at this community around you. Look at these adults who love you. They're cheering you on. We can do this. Students in the room, some of you in the front row, let me stop and talk directly to you. I don't want to act as if you're not in the room with us. It's important that you're here. But I want you to know that you inspire me. I may have gotten more out of camp this week than you did. I can easily get discouraged. My wife knows this. I'm like a roller coaster. I'm either the most excited, happy person, or I'm like, everything's bad. And, <laughs> and when I see your faith, when I see you in community, when I see that you're more courageous in your faith than, than many adults, it's like rocket fuel to my faith. And this sh should not be surprising. Jesus mentioned in our first passage uh, of the day about, about the faith of a child. But let's look at Matthew 18, verses 1 through 5. At, the time, at, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him, placed the child among them, and said, 
Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Guys, if we are not a church that welcomes children and youth, we're, we're shutting the door on Jesus. We should be striving to have faith like these young people. You see, when a young person grabs onto a simple faith, and Jesus made it really simple for us, love God, love people. When they grab a hold of that simple faith, they are so creative and wise in figuring out how do I make this work in my life, in my context. And sometimes as adults, we get freaked out because their context is so different from our context at that age. And we go, well, they're doing it wrong. It's like, I don't know that they are. I think they might, they might be onto something here, right? And, and for the students in the room, I, I often think it's, it's adults who get in the way of your faith. We overcomplicate everything. I saw this a little bit once when we did a youth retreat for that same group of seventh graders, but we had some sixth and eighth graders there as well. And it was all about like, hey, how do you live out your faith in your context, right? And so we, we're at the end of it, we're like, all right, you guys are going to put on a skit. You're going to get in different groups and you're all going to put on a skit and, and, you know, like act out how you might share your faith with some of your friends at school. And in every one of the skits, the, the non-Christian was drinking and smoking and in a gang and had a knife or whatever. And I'm like, this is how you see people who aren't Christian? What are you going to do when you meet some non-Christians? <laughs> and and it, it dawned on me, oh no, we, we've... We've shaped these kids in a context of, of Christian culture that's all about rules and rights and wrongs. It's about don't do this or God will be mad at you. Don't hang around people who are like this because they'll be a bad influence. They'll tear you down. Don't watch this. Don't read that. Don't ask questions that go against the status quo. And so what they get is this version of a Christian moral code, but they've not gotten very much Jesus. And honestly, I think this is the type of thinking and discipleship that causes so many to walk away from faith when they get beyond high school. They go to college or new adulthood and they meet these so-called bad people and realize that the stereotype uh, that they had in their head doesn't ring true. And, and often what I've seen is they hear uh, different Christian perspectives. They've heard in their childhood all these rights and wrongs that are just as important as the basic truths of the gospel. If you don't believe this, then you don't really believe the Bible. And if you don't really believe the Bible, then you don't believe Jesus. Like that's the logic that they hear. And then they go and meet Christians who believe slightly differently on secondary issues or tertiary issues. And they go, oh, that dude's thriving in his faith. They lied to me about that. What else did they lie to me about? And I say that because often what that does is causes a crisis of faith. And two things, one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to tear it all down and build it back up with the essentials and try to figure out how this works in their own life. That's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is they're going to tear it all down and go, I don't know what's true at all, and so I just walk away from the whole thing. So I want to say two more things to our youth, because we want to make this place for you. And I'd say it to our kids in Powerhouse, but they're over there getting just amazing discipleship and relationships with the, the amazing volunteers are there. To the, to the youth who are in the room with me here now, my door is always open. Not just Pastor Becca or Miss Eugenia, my door is always open. 
And I'm sure other pastors would say the same. You're not just the future of the church. You are the present of the church. We are here for you. No topic is off limits. No question is going to get you in trouble. Except for is a hot dog a sandwich. I'm tired of that conversation. <laughs> and guess what? If you ask me a tough question, my answer might be a confident, I don't know. Because I don't know everything. And, and, and I've seen too many times where young people ask hard questions and people just make it up because they, well, if, if I don't come off as confident, then they're going to not trust me anymore, so I better make up an answer. And they find out later that answer doesn't ring true. And it's like, well, again, what else did they lie to me about? I'm not going to lie to you. I, if I don't know, I'll say I don't know. But I'll also say this. Let's figure it out together because you have things to teach me too. Secondly, I want to say this. This environment is for you, Right? It's, it's for all of the adults in the room, but it's also for the youth of our church. And I want to say, help us make it more for you. If my references are too old, help me out. If something I say is confusing or it doesn't fit in your context or doesn't ring true, teach me. Seriously, I would love to have that conversation. When I'm trying to be cool and it comes off as lame and I look like this guy. <laughs> I love that shirt, music band. <laughs> help me out. Help me improve my drip. Teach me what riz means. That's not true. I know what riz means because I learned last night that I have what's called email drip because that's how I asked out Adrian. Email, sorry, email riz. I see it. I'm so lame. I'm so cringy. I have email riz because that's how I asked out Adrian back in the 1900s by email. And so Avi, who's over there serving with Powerhouse this morning, she, she dubbed me with email riz. If you don't know what that means, come talk to me later. I'm very cool. Uh, <laughs> you shouldn't laugh that hard at that, guys. <laughs> even, more, even more than just participating um, in this environment being for you, join the team. Help lead worship. Help with tech. If you love Jesus and you have a way with words, partner with me. We'll co-preach a sermon together. And not like a novelty act, but because you're a part of this. This is for you. As a way of offering your perspective to the church because we need you. You have faith and zeal and perspective that would benefit every other generation in this church. And let me close with this. The reason I wanted to preach about this today is because every church I've been a part of up until now, kids ministry and youth ministry has been treated almost like daycare. Right? We got to do something to distract the kids so that the, their parents can enjoy worship. And man, does that make me angry. <laughs> Children and youth are not a problem to be solved. They're not meant to be occupied so that their parents can enjoy service. They are to be welcomed and prioritized. What happens in Powerhouse, what happens on Wednesday nights when our youth are gathered, are just as important as what happens here in this room. And I believe that 100%. And you know what that means? That means that Becca and Eugenia should never have a shortage of volunteers. They should never have a shortage of volunteers who are excited to be present with kids and youth. If you benefited from kids' ministry when you were raising your kids, it's time to pay it back and partner with families who are in it now and need partners who are going to walk with them as they're trying to disciple their kids. If you see the growth of our church and the new families coming and the growth of our youth group with all these new kids coming, it's easy to think, dang, that's really going well. Good for them. They don't need my help. No, wrong. We need you more than ever because there's kids to be loved. Same for preschool, right? You can volunteer at preschool. 
help serve food, sub if you've got the qualifications. Beth would, has plenty that you, should, you could help with. And not only that, that's a missional community waiting to happen. What about a group of people just regularly praying for our preschool families, many of whom aren't Christian? And serving at our events and putting together extra events for community to happen and just seeing what relationships develop and how Jesus might be working in the midst. Who's up for that? If you're scared to lead a small group discussion, that's not the only role with kids and youth. Talk to Beck and Eugenia. Again, food, crafts, games. Cassandra is doing this on the other side of the world. We could be praying for her and supporting her ministry, regularly checking in with her because it probably gets lonely, correct? Thank you. For those of you online, she said, I love adult conversation and I don't get a lot. Reach out to her. Ask her how you can pray for her. If you're a student, man, those kids in Powerhouse, they look up to you. I see it because you guys came for theater camp and for, for summer camp, and you guys are awesome with them. And they look up to you, and if they associate you guys with Jesus, then all of a sudden they're like, oh, it's, it's actually cool to follow Jesus, and these people are fun and they're welcoming, and they throw water balloons at me, then that's a huge boost for their faith. Lastly, I'll say this. I just listed a bunch of ways you can help. All these ways aren't for everybody. You know, maybe you're grouchy. Maybe you can't pass a background check. Maybe you view, view children. Maybe you view children as tiny adults that just need to get in line. All right, that's okay. But at the very least, you can commit to praying weekly. Add that to your prayer. Pray for our kids and youth. Pray for weekly for their lives at home and at school and on their sports teams and in their band and in their whatever. You can pray for our volunteers and staff. You can pray for our school teachers and staff. Can you at least commit to that? You can faithfully give to this church because that money goes to ministry like Powerhouse and our youth ministry. We all can play a role. And when we do, Here's the thing. Jesus is in our midst. We don't do it because it's a program that seems to work or because we have to occupy the kids. We do it because when we are present with young people, Jesus is present in our midst because that's where he would be. He would say, adults, get out of my way. Let me hang out with the kids for a bit. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and, and as they do, let me say this. The sermon is not a guilt trip to, to volunteers. This is an invitation. By being present with children and with youth, it's good for you and it's good for me. Over and over again in my life, I've experienced Jesus the most clearly in the presence of young people. At our previous church, we did this thing called Summer Blast, and it was just an amazing way to just hang out with kids and, and give them an amazing experience. Similar to the summer camp we had here. When we did theater camp here at FCC, it was so awesome. I was just so excited to see our youth and our leaders just teaching kids new skills, like how to work a camera, how to, how to deliver a line as an actor. It was awesome. North Carolina, digging trenches, serving the poor in South Akron, Ohio, where I'm from, our own hometown. We took kids out there to serve, and they did the best ministry I think I've ever seen, eighth graders. Never seen God move in such powerful ways. I took a group of kids to Haiti, and watch them just do amazing things. And see the presence of God literally healing people in Haiti through these young people. 
This is not a guilt trip to get volunteers. This is an invitation to find some way, whether it's going out of your way to make youth feel welcome here in our Sunday gathering, serving at Powerhouse or with youth ministry, helping out with Elevate or volunteering at a school or community program that's designed for youth, connecting with your friends who have kids and asking how can you support and pray for them because as parents, we all need help. We need those other adults in our lives pouring into our kids. If you want to grow in your faith, take your eyes off yourself and be present with young people. If you want to grow in your faith, welcome and listen to our young people. Strive for a simple face that is laser focused on loving God and loving people. Let's figure this out together. How do we live out of faith like that together across all generations? And it's fitting that we're going to take communion now together across all generations, right? In a minute, the band's going to lead a song. And while that song is going on, uh, there'll be people at the tables here serving the communion elements, the bread and the cups. So during that song, find your way to the closest table uh, and get, get the bread and the cup and hold on to it. And then Beth is going to come back up and she's going to lead us in, in taking those together as a community. But communion is all about the presence of Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. We do this in remembrance of him and then we go out into the world present to the people in our lives, inviting them to our tables to experience community in the presence of Jesus. And in the same way, that's, that's what we want to be as a community. Investing in young people because that's who Jesus would run to, to hang out with, to welcome and to say, you matter. So let me pray. We'll, we'll sing this song and get the communion elements and then we'll take them together. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this past week. Um, I was not excited to sleep on a, on a tarp. And yet, I'm so grateful for every bit of the experience. I'm so grateful for our young people who, who show me every day what it means to work out your faith. They, they, they face things that I didn't face. And... Uh, and they do it with courage. And they, they desperately want to learn how to love you and love other people. And I'm just so inspired by that. Give us all that kind of simple faith. Help us to see the heart of Jesus for others. Help us to have compassion. Help us to be welcoming. And help us to remember that it's all rooted in this, that you welcomed us. We love because you first loved as we get ready for communion, Lord, we just, we thank you for the, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. The forgiveness of sins, the new life we receive. It's because of your grace that we can sing these songs and, and give you praise. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name.